You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Hello there, it's Claire Pedrick. Today at the Coaching Inn, we have a business special with all kinds of interesting guests. To become a successful coach, you need to be a great coach, and we've talked about that in many of our podcasts. But also, most coaches need to find a way of getting work. And for most coaches, that requires some level of business building. So we thought it'd be fun to listen to some coaches who are in their first year or so and to see what top tips they have to share. So let's meet them and find out what made them say yes to coming to the coaching inn. Our first guest is Mayuri Hargest. So... um... I'm Mayuri. I uh, live in Mid Wales. Fact is that I've moved 23 times in my lifetime. Wow. Um, most recent being about a month ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of tells you a lot about me. I've lived all over the, all over the globe. Um, I'm an immigrant to the UK uh, and I love living here. Um, Amazing. And I feel like I'm British and I'd yeah represent the culture as well of this place um i suppose why this pod episode um for me i think it was the topics really fascinating like us as coaches we all get come together as just one type of thing and we're not um we all have a different background we all have a different lens that we're looking at this thing called coaching from um and in addition to that i'm actually I've been trained two years uh, officially in coaching um, and I've had a period of maternity leave and and I work part time uh, in a completely different field. So that that brought quite nuance to this conversation, I felt. So I asked if I could join the conversation. Well, you're very welcome, Mayuri. And our next guest is Gail Hudson. Um, so I'm an uh, interesting fact about me is that um, as a family, we look after guide dogs when they're in their final weeks of training. So we've had over the last 10 years, probably about, oh gosh, getting on for 20 different guide dogs uh, live with us for the, for the last 10 weeks before they start their training. So that's a lovely thing to do. Um, and why I said yes to this podcast was firstly, I saw the call out. I'm a huge fan of yours, Claire, and the work that you do. And I've really benefited massively from your podcasts and, and your book. And um, I've been really reflecting a lot in terms of my learning journey over the last couple of years of, 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 of coaching. And, um, and I really wanted to just, just be part of a conversation about it because I just uh, think it's really great to, to, to learn and share with others. And our next guest is Caroline Tapkin. Tell us about you. Um, Well, I'm a traveller. I am a chameleon. I constantly reinvent myself depending on where I'm living and what I'm doing. So uh, based in the UK these days, but 35 plus years overseas as an expat. Why did you say yes to the podcast? Because it's been such a an interesting journey um and yeah I'm curious to know what other people have found but yeah lots to share lots to share 
And next in our lineup of coaches who've qualified in the last year or so is Gary Crotas. Hi, uh, well, I'm an executive coach now, but I've been many things over the years, probably the most unusual one being a professional ballroom dancer. So I spent about 10 years of my career when I was doing a day job, but I was also traveling the world with my wife, competing, um, training, competing around the world as a professional ballroom dancer. That is very interesting. And why did you say yes to the podcast, Gary? I'm I'm really interested to always to meet other coaches and to reflect on our learnings, the things that have gone well and things that have challenged us. So always interesting to, to hear different perspectives. Oh, fantastic. What I'm loving about this is that you're all so very different. So here's Sarah Brooks. So I'm a university lecturer as well as being a coach. And my my life seems to have aligned in a career uh, space, which has been a surprise to me. Sometimes people say that when they're doing coaching things, they end up coaching about topics that they'd never imagined. And this is definitely one of them. Um, the reason I said yes to the podcast is because it's a, it comes in line with the year end and me taking stock of what I've achieved this year. So I thought the timing was really good, but it can be quite isolating working all by yourself. And so I was really interested to meet other people as well and hear Brilliant. what they've got to say and see if I can learn anything more. Welcome. And Sarah Klein. Hello. Um, I was in the public sector for over 20 years um, before I became a coach. Um, I originally trained as a counsellor and I've had a lifelong fascination with people, all things people and all things learning. Um, I'm based in Shropshire, which is in the UK. And the reason I came is similar to you, Sarah, actually. This year is naturally a time of reflection and I'd been doing some writing about the coaching business that I've got, and this came at a really good time to share that reflection. Um, so I was really pleased when I, I saw that invitation. So my first question to you all is, what have you done in your first year since you finished your training for your coaching? And what have you done in that first year for your business? Who wants to go first? So I think the best thing I did for my coaching skill was to formalize it by some training. Um, I trained with Barefoot, um, which was a company that I'd followed for quite a long time. Um, and although I had coaching skills and, and could have called myself a coach, um, I actually felt that I wanted that piece of paper. Um, and so that was a really good experience as well in terms of meeting other coaches um, and just the quality of the training. So I think doing some formal training and carrying on doing CPD, um, I think, is the thing that I have um, benefited from the most. In terms of business, I think it was getting real about the fact that, so I left the public sector eight years ago and set up a consultancy, um, but I'm one of those people who likes um, to do lots of different things. So I would describe myself as having a portfolio career. And so I did bits of everything which I really enjoy, but in terms of trying to um, sell my services, it makes it really difficult. Going back to what Caroline was saying before, um, there was no niche, there was nothing specific. I was Sarah who did bits of everything. So I think from a business point of view, really focusing at, down in on, I'm Sarah, I work with knackered women and I offer coaching. 
Um, I particularly work with values-driven public sector women um, and people in those types of organisations. It's made it really clear. And so narrowing it down to be very specific and talking to people about that thing very clearly and consistently um, is probably the key thing. Because probably everybody's thought either that's me or that's somebody I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's very easy to relate to. Yeah. Thank you. I think um, if I jump in, like my thinking about for, for my coaching is actually reading and talking about it. Um, I joined a really lovely network of um, independent coaches probably in July last year. And that's been amazing um, just to uh, have conversations and resources and people going through the same thing. Um, and yeah, just continuing the reading, continuing the development and not feeling like I've done the course and now I'm done because I don't think the development ever stops. Uh -huh. um, and so that's been brilliant for the coaching perspective and really thinking through how do I coach and why do I coach? Um, I guess from a business perspective, um, I was really thinking about what I wanted to do and why I was coaching in the first place. Like um, the money's never been a, like a driver for me. It's, it's um, a nice to have, like, what do I really want to see? Why did I bother training? Um, really thinking that through and then applying it to the people I want to work with. And I, for me, actually, probably about two or three years ago, um, I was feeling really sad and really stuck in a job I really didn't like. Um, and I could have done with some coaching, uh, but I'd have probably told myself I couldn't afford it, um, that uh, who was I to get a coach, you know, all those stories. Um, and I suppose that kind of spurs me on. So I start thinking about those people who are in jobs that they don't like anymore and want to make a change. Um, and yeah, so I've decided to go down that road. Fantastic. Thank you. Gail, what about you? Yeah, it's really interesting you you um, uh, say that, Mari, because um, the, the, for me, the, the networking and linking with other coaches has been incredible. And I don't know about you, but I found... Um, to start up this there's a lot of kind of charlatans out there a lot of people trying yeah. to sort of bring you into their sort of marketing funnel and take you through all these things and and um and there's a lot of expectations as well about this is what you need to do to set up a coaching business and this is and and um and I think that the the best thing was when I was able to kind of recognize that that wasn't that wasn't me and that I could step away from that and not feel I had to be drawn into that and find my own path, really. Sarah Brooks, what about you? So I think um, there's two things I've, I've thought about here about what was the best thing I did for my coaches. So one of them was to refresh my training. So I originally did my training in 2008 and I did a little bit of coaching as part of my job as a management consultant at the time. But I went through a process of requalifying and having coach mentoring and putting myself back in the space. And actually, it was amazing how much forward the um, the coaching business uh, world has improved over that 10 years since when I originally. So so I really noticed that difference. But that was definitely the best thing that I did. And then I joined, um, just like Sarah said, a 
a CPD, I do, I pay monthly for a subscription for coaching. And so I do some form of coaching CPD every day. And I think that has really helped me grow my confidence. And then for my business, um, I, what's really helped me is finding my voice. And, and I know we kind of talked before about picking colors and looking at our website and, and we kind of said, or oh, maybe it had limited value. For me, that process was really important because what it allowed me to do was find my voice, worked out, work out who I am, you know, um, how am I going to represent myself? How do I want to help people? What's going to allow me to feel confident when I put myself out there and say, I'm a coach, I want to coach you. And so that process was really important for me. Thank you. I, I'm very struck by what you said about coming back into coaching in the present rather than picking up in the past and how much you've noticed had changed. Uh, and that takes courage, doesn't it? But, you know, I really salute you for doing that. Well, what happened was I tried to set up my own business in 2009 and it's I think it's become a bit of a family joke because I set up this business and I was so passionate about it and I was going to give 10% of everything I made to a charity that I've you know that I really like and I made no money and I floundered because I couldn't find any help it was you know really kind of pre-internet actually but I just I didn't know where to go and I floundered and I lost my confidence and I gave up thinking it was a really silly thing to have tried to do and yet actually I recognize now 10 years later there's so much help and so much support and so much more available actually this time round I wouldn't say it's been easy but it's definitely been easier and I've got so much more confidence but that's thanks to everybody else and that sharing and all the conversations, you know, that's in people's awareness now that coaching is a really good thing mm. to do. Mm. Thank you. So, Gary, what's the best thing you did for your coaching and for your business? I, th I think it's similar to what other people said in terms of, of the training. So it's interesting when Sarah Klein said um, about developing the skills but also having the piece of paper I think for me there was a motive my initial motivation to go into training was I felt that I needed the 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 validation of having formal training behind me going through the training I realized all the other things I had no idea about that I also needed which was the what I described as sort of sort of frontal lobotomy of coaching training to take out because I was I was a corporate strategist before so I was the person that was tasked with coming up with answers and that's exactly the part of my brain I need to switch off when I'm in coaching mode so I I, I think that uh, I would be nowhere near where I am in in coaching and I'm still <laughs> very early on the on the journey but I've been nowhere near where I am if I hadn't gone through that process of formal training i trained with henley business school um over over the course of, of most of the last year and i also did training with gallup actually with the clifton strengths assessment which was uh, it's a really interesting balance actually to to the more sort of pure coaching training of, of, of a henley kind of course um in terms of what i've done in the year that's helped the business um i mean i've done a few things but i think that it all really comes down to um, focus. So I, I made a choice about a year ago to aim to be 100% focused on coaching in, in, in the year, um, <clears throat> which has an obvious income impact um, in, in, in putting yourself under, under that kind of pressure. Um, but what I found was that uh, in being 100% focused, I could say I'm a coach. 
uh, and that's what I do. And actually for clients who are already getting over the idea that I'm a relatively, you know, uh, early stage coach and they might be one of my earlier clients, I wasn't giving them the additional sort of, and, and it, is this really your main focus? Is this really what, what, what you're expert at doing? So I think it really helped me with those early clients to get them to go, you know, I know that you're relatively earlier stage in your coaching career, but you're fully committed to this. And I found that's been very helpful. Uh, and along the way, I've, I've done other things like writing a book that's coming out in, in, in January, which is, again, actually a part of that, creating this, my own focus, I know who I am, um, but also that clarity for people that I'm working with that they're clear on exactly what I do, what I'm about. So that's been very helpful. Thank you. Caroline. For my coaching, I set aside time each week for continued learning. Um, I think there's nothing like a coach for continuing to learn. There's always something new and, and something going on. And that's often something we can get caught up in if we don't have clients that, you know, we just need to keep learning more, then the clients will come. But I think it's very important to set aside time for that specific learning. So Friday afternoons is my NLP for coaches learning time, which is wonderful and reconnects me with the actual coaching skills. Um, for the business, I'm a lifelong marketer, but of travel and hospitality services. So I thought no problem setting up a business. I've set up businesses. I had my own PR company before and, and all sorts of things. Um, but setting up a coaching business was a totally different ball game and I, I actually had no idea so I had I invested in somebody who does have an idea so I um, joined a mentoring program um, am I allowed to mention them yes the the coaching revolution Sarah Short um, you probably see her she's everywhere she's everywhere um, but it has been so helpful in what Gary said focusing on what the business actually needs, as opposed to what you want to do. And we all want to play around with the website and the pretty colors and everything else, but it's not what the business needs. Um, and the coaching revolution has really helped me to, to focus um, and to maintain that focus. And um, having those two um, balances, so the coaching coach side, and the business coach side has really helped me develop my skills and my business this year. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that really works for you. And yet for others, an investment in, a, in, in something like that ends up feeling something that doesn't work for them. So, you know, we're all different. And I think that's what's so great about this, this world. I think you have to be very careful what you choose to invest in, that it is right for you rather than what others tell you you should do. Yeah, absolutely. I found it a really interesting process very recently um, because it was about a year ago that I, I was most of the way through my formal training with Henley. Uh, and I got to a place where I started to think about actively scaling and growing and, and and reaching out to people that didn't already know me so up, up until that point I was working with people that I that were in, already in my network um and I've, I've looked back recently to say okay of all the things I've done in the year what were the things that actually 
made a difference. And, and it's a very small list of things. For me, it's three things. One is um, doing the Gallup Clifton Strengths training, um, because that was something where, um, where it's often quite difficult to get people into the conversation of coaching for all the things we've already talked about. But actually to say, would you find it interesting to do this assessment, find out what your strengths are? Actually, I found a, lots of people have found that a, a sort of entry point. And by the time you've had a conversation about that, they already get a feel for what coaching is. So that, that's, been, that's been very powerful and, and has worked out from business perspective. The second is not the website, but I, I did a one pager to describe myself as a coach. Um, and so when people talk to me about coaching, I can say, oh, and here's my one pager. Um, and it took me ages to work out exactly that language. Um, but I've, I've had now several client relationships that have come from, I saw your one pager or they forwarded to somebody else, whatever. So actually it wasn't a, an expensive thing to do. It was just a, you know, um, a lot of hard work to, to exactly nuance the, um, the, uh, the wording. The third thing that I've done, again, I, did, I did, probably didn't anticipate this at the beginning of the year, um, but doing um, sort of podcast webinar type, chats so i i did two um webinars for um companies i worked with before that probably had 20 25 people listening in and i did a you know one of them was what what is coaching and another one was what's the sort of boss to leader to coach transition for leaders so very simple very high level conversations and out of each of those um i got one new coaching relationship with somebody that only knew me because they'd heard me on the webinar. So now whenever I get the opportunity to speak on something, I, I think that's an interesting th thing to do because, you know, no website or no one page or anything else can really replace hearing from somebody speaking and, and going, oh, actually, I think they've been an interesting person to have a conversation with. Um, so those are the things that I look back on and think that's where it's all come from. Everything else I've done, I, I couldn't link actual growth of the business to. That's really interesting. Everything else I could, I've done, I couldn't link growth to. Because mm. I think we go up a lot of rabbit runs. Mm -hmm. And then we also accidentally fall over something that really suddenly changes everything. And sometimes that's a strategic accidentally falling over. And sometimes it's a, we just accidentally fall over it. Mm. And, that's, and that's okay. A lot of coaches have asked me about my opinion on training in a tool um, and for me I like Clifton Strengths for a whole variety of reasons but I actually think that from a business perspective um, it's a, having a tool is a helpful sort of entry point for, for a lot of people and I don't know you know I, I think it's the right tool for the right person but it's interesting because in those conversations I can say you know this was the cost of my training these are all the sessions that I've had in the course of the following year based on that training this was the point where i paid back the cost of the training so i i can tell you that for me um i've made now made a net profit out of out of doing that so not only have i benefited in terms of my own coaching development but also uh, you know i i'm comfortable that it wasn't wasted money from a pure commercial perspective mm. it'll vary by different people as to how they do it and i did meet on clubhouse actually um a coach in the u.s who he thinks that he is the he has the most psychometric assessment trainings of all coaches in the US. He had something like 50 or 60 or 70 
assessments that he's done the training in. And, and I thought, I didn't know that I'd see you as an expert uh, in any of them. Um, so I quite like the idea of, of, you know, if I want to do NLP, for example, as, as coachee, that I talk to somebody who does that all the time, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be me. Um, but if I, I was wanting to work on strengths and I want to work with somebody that does that all the time. So, you know, it's, it's the, right per, the right tool for the right person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the diagnostics are particularly useful if you're doing executive coaching in organisations, because often those things come together. People who are doing more personal coaching, I think it really depends on the context as to whether that's useful, but absolutely in executive coaching, because that's often the thing that people are shopping for. And as you say, once they've bought that, then they'll buy something else. So I'm really interested to hear where you get your support and where you get your challenge from. We've heard different places that you kind of move, but where do you get your your support? Who's your tribe? And where do you get your challenge? Sarah Klein, you look like you've got something to say. Um, It's it's a great question, actually, Claire. Um, The notion of tribe, I think, really appeals to me because when I left my organisational career, I was immediately sat thinking, gosh, I wonder where I find that tribe of people that are... Um, similarly purposeful about a similar thing so I've um, I think it's taken a while but some of the key things have been um, CPD and meeting people as part of that so as other people have said I'm an ongoing learner and attender of CPD I think um, a couple of coaches set up something called a coaches gathering and that's been a really fantastic place to meet people and to sort of have that sense of tribe um people from my initial training we're a tribe together and so that's been useful um group supervision again has been useful as well um but i also think for me linkedin um i use linkedin uh, frequently and liberally and that has brought a sense of tribe i think the more i show up the more people show up that feel like tribe so that has been really really um it's been a beautiful thing actually In terms of challenge, um, that's a really interesting question. I would have, um, having trained and practiced originally as a counsellor, I always found supervision very challenging in a helpful way in terms of unpicking what was really going on. Um, And I think for me, coaching supervision to date has been often very useful and illuminating, but I haven't felt a sense of challenge in the way that I did previously um, in my counselling supervision. So... Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I have it in my own coaching relationships where I've worked with coaches. Um, I've had challenge through that. But on a more ongoing basis, uh, I think I'm probably still looking for that. And like you, I think my path has been very much finding a, a community that it is a proper trusted community that aren't trying to sell you stuff that you can actually build. I've got genuine friends now after, mm-hmm. you know, a, a year or so in that in that space. And where you can really feel that you can kind of share learning, share resources and stuff. We've, we've um, in my uh, little community, we've set up coaching triads and sort of peer coaching groups. And I'm also part of an action learning set. And that there's a lot that you can do just in terms of your ongoing, immersing yourself in that learning, I suppose, with, with other people and other colleagues and learning from others as well has been amazing. 
And for me, being part of an action learning set with more experienced coaches has been, I was so lucky to, to, to be in that space as well. And that's been absolutely incredible. I felt really intimidated to start with and actually doing that has really made me gain kind of courage, find my vulnerabilities, all those sorts of things, which has really kind of stretched me. And in terms of the, the business stuff, for me, um, again, I think it was easy to get swept along initially with the thought of, of, of um, needing to get lots of clients. And how are you getting your clients and everything? What I've done, and it's worked really well for me, is work as an associate with lots of other organisations. And that's given me loads and loads of clients, a regular stream of income. And also real kind of diversity of clients. So it's meant that I haven't kind of, you know, everybody tells you, you should niche, you should do this. This is the kind of coach that I am. And, and, and for me, it just didn't fit. I really love working across a huge kind of range. And, and, and work as an associate has been fantastic for me to be able to do that. I feel really just, just amazed I've been able to, to, to do that. And I've, I've just had literally hundreds of hours of coaching from from doing that and I think maybe as as I grow and develop I'll find my own kind of voice and space and what I what I what I'm offering as as as, as me but I've, I've really benefited so much from kind of being in the space as an associate I think That's and as you say that I'm thinking every hour that you've coached is forming you as a coach and some of those hours will have been amazing and you'll have come away going, I'm really proud of my coaching for that. And some of those hours will have been a bit of a car crash and will also have been really great learning for you. And actually, that's how it is for everybody. And it takes the pressure off, isn't it? Doesn't it? I think when you don't have to pay the supermarket bill from the next person that you're coaching. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm interested because there's a theme that's coming up from what you're saying, both of you, which is something about about the support network that you need to have around you in service of not wobbling. When the sexy things start waving at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, I'm going to jump in here, but I uh, early doors, I didn't have that network around me. Um, I got sucked into uh, social media training um, that I paid a significant amount of money for that to be honest I didn't really need at the time um, I wasn't in a place I could commit to either because I was pregnant and just about to just about to have my baby um, thinking about maternity leave etc and also thinking oh maternity leave is going to be a long time maybe I'll be able to set my business up at the same time which is uh, foolish in hindsight let's put it that way <laughs> um, there is not as much time as you think there is and you just want to bond with your child so actually um, yeah social media training it sounds lovely you probably need the right people with the right frame of mind if you're going to go down that road and you definitely don't need it really early doors yeah I, I totally agree and I think I think sometimes people think I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. I mean, I spent a lot of money on a business mm -hmm. development course, creating words that aren't me. And and they all had to go in the bin and each word probably cost me 50 quid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that had to go because there's something about we are we are human beings who facilitate the 
the thinking of other human beings. And therefore, the way we describe ourselves needs to be honest and real and true. <clears throat> Just something, Mayuri, about maternity leave. I set up 3D coaching when my younger child was three. And, um, and then I never worked in the school holidays because I didn't want to work in the school holidays. And I still don't. It's amazing. <laughs> and they are well adults now. Yeah. So actually that, that, that formation and that shape of a business that said, mm -hmm. what, does, what shape does my business need to be for me now was such a life-giving shape that I didn't change it when I could. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful and really helpful, actually. I actually don't have half term when everyone else does. I have it the following week, but <laughs> same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a great question to sit with as we come to the end of the year. Mm. Thank you. Sarah Brooks, where do you get your support? Who's your tribe? So quite similar to Sarah Klein's answer, actually. So um, I joined quite a lot of coaching groups, particularly during lockdown because they were all online and because I didn't really have much to do. So um, the Sheffield Coaching Exchange and Three Shires, which are two you know, local to where I live in Chesterfield, um, they were brilliant. I got a lot of support, met a lot of people. Um, again, yes, yeah, supervision, group supervision. I love group supervision. and. I've learned a lot and the groups that I'm now part of, we share, I think, and, you know, we're, we're able to make ourselves vulnerable, which I think is really important. Um, I'm also part of some pro bono coaching groups. So I do volunteer coaching for a number of groups. Actually, I feel very supported by them. They offer supervision as well as I've got to meet other people. Um, but I suppose the one thing that really does it for me is the one-to-one -one relationships. Um, and although I go to lots of group things, it's the one-to-one -one relationships and the conversations that we have outside of the group, I would say, that, that allow me to really connect with people and feel validated or really help me recognize what, what I'm doing right and maybe mm. what I need to do differently. Um, with regards to challenge, so... I, um, coaching triads for my word I mean they are really challenging and I think I've done loads of them and you always go in there thinking I need to be confident because there's no other way to be and then you get some feedback and although it is meant to be constructive and kind and supportive it makes you realize that oh my gosh I've got so much to learn and I, I always come out of them thinking, why do I do these things? But they are ultimately really, really beneficial. <laughs> because people are giving you feedback on real observable data. And that's different from where we go and we talk about things. And then we get feedback on, on, on our self-reported version of the data. And I, I absolutely agree, Sarah. There, there, Sarah there's nothing like real observable data in terms of the benefit or the pain <laughs> but it's where coaches really really grow I've just done a training this morning and it was session it was session two so they did their first practice 
And one of them said that was really difficult. And I said, yes, because nobody gives you feedback by observing the conversations that you have. They either say, I loved it, which doesn't mean it was good. Or they tell somebody else they didn't love it, which doesn't mean it was bad. So we get ourselves in a bit of a mess, don't we? So, so yeah, absolutely. Real observable data. I, I have um, a few buddies who I use for different reasons. So I have somebody who's a, a buddy who runs a business about the same size as 3D. And we have a kind of mutual exchange where if something happens and we need a new policy or we need to think about this or we need to think about that, we often will ring each other up uh, and say, uh, and so, so she's my business of a slightly equal size buddy. And then I have other buddies for other reasons where there's an equitable sharing of, of support, challenge and kind of information sharing. So that kind of goes back, Sarah Klein, to your thing about the LinkedIn network. But it's also about being generous and feeling free to ask people. Because there's always somebody who knows, isn't there? So, Caroline, where's your tribe and where do you get your challenge? Well, my tribe I've gathered over the years from various different corners of the world, I guess. Um, so there's always somebody for the occasion. Um, and recently been gathering coach my fellow students and, and um, people. So, again, always somebody who can help with whatever is going on. Um, obviously, it's all online at the moment. Um, and I my my tribe would be overseas and I would be traveling under normal circumstances. So thank heavens for Zoom and such like, because it allows us all to stay in touch. Mm. Um, my challenge comes from the continued learning, um, the people in those small, I like small groups. I don't like large, large sessions because then you really get that one-to-one -one feedback and that personal um, learning and growth opportunities um, but the real challenge comes from my my tribe outside the coaching circles because they keep me grounded um, and they're the ones who remind me if I'm going into coach speak or getting boring um, and and put it into put everything into perspective so it, it's often those people who don't know really what I'm doing or how it works who will just come up with those questions that you sit back and think hmm <laughs> I need to keep that in mind yeah um so so that's yeah and I'm very interested in this coaching triad Sarah um that's something I'm going to have to look into because I don't have that sort of support and feedback and I think that moving forward is something going to be very valuable so thanks Henry. for that yeah, I mean, I could recommend the Association for Coaching, Coaching Tribe. That was where I did them, and they offer them all the time. Mm -hmm. And there are some niche health ones, you know, health and social care ones, or you can go to a general one. And they were amazing. I would highly recommend those. It is worth the membership fee just for mm -hmm. that alone. Yeah. Right. I'll have to. I, well, I have been a member because my qualification gave me a membership of that but it's it's coming to an end now so that's a good reason to look at it again thank you i, I just say um i you've just reminded me actually i'm part of an icf local charter group um and they also we also have triad coaching there as well so 
even if the group doesn't offer it, it's something that you can set up and ask for because lots of coaches um, are often very keen to take part in it. And we've developed a set of ground rules that go with it and stuff that we can share if that would be useful if you're going to start your own. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Gary, where's your tribe? Um, so I have a particularly interesting cohort from Henley Business School, which we call the Goose Cohort, because um, in our very first uh, on-site um, you know, multi-day coaching session, uh, a goose flew into the power lines outside Henley Business School and took the power out for 48 hours. So we did our training <laughs> in the dark and cold. Um, and so it created a very tight bond with that group. And so I think maybe more than otherwise would have happened that, that group has stayed together very very closely and we do do from time to time group supervision and things like that um and there's a weekly um reading group where we get together on zoom or or, or um uh, sort of google video um and we'll sit in silence but together um reading a book or you know something out of our shelf and then sharing some insight from us so that's been that's been very helpful um i i'm also i Every week I'm on a clubhouse group, which is actually a, a group of mainly US strengths coaches, but many of them also ICF coaches. Um, and we often have uh, a member of the senior leadership of Gallup that, that comes there as well. And it's very interesting just hearing different people's perspectives, not on individual coaching challenges, but just keeping you reflecting in the way that you know others have, have talked about that continuous learning. And I think the, the third area, uh, none, none of which I think gives me with the level of challenge that I really need over time. But there is an element of challenge, which is simply, I still feel I'm, I'm living off my training, that I'm, I'm aware of a long list of things that I want to get better at doing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel reasonably comfortable at the moment that I've got so many things coming out of my own reflection on my coaching that, that I want to develop and grow with. And I have some books on my shelf, like Simplifying Coaching and Challenging Coaching, um, that kind of uh, stare at me every day and I'm like yeah I know what's in there and I know that I didn't do that so so actually that sort of self-challenge from from the training and and the memories of the training it still lasts for me but definitely in the next year one of my uh, clear goals is to develop a new probably one-to-one -one supervision relationship um, with the with the right person who who is the right sort of partnership with with me for where I'm looking to go uh, and I think up to now it's been something that I've been thinking about doing, but I feel as though almost I still have enough material that I'm working on simply from the core coaching and, and the experience that I'm building. Um, but I think that's going to become more and more important as I progress forward to have that, you know, one-on-one -on -one supervision relationship. Mm. I always know who my next supervisor is going to be. Mm. Not that I have any intention of stopping with my current supervisor, but I always know who the one after will be because I think I think that really matters in terms of it will be somebody who's different and it will be somebody who challenges me from a different place and where I can and where I can engage a different part of myself. Um, but I would just commend to you at the beginning of your coaching journey is is to choose two. <laughs> choose this one and know why you've chosen this one and also start thinking about who's the next one going to be and what is the reason that you're going to choose them and what is it that's going to make you know what what's the value that that relationship is going to bring to the work that you do because I think that helps us be quite edgy 
And it also helps me learn the timing because the super, the supervisor after the current one is going to is I'm going to experience as quite brutal compared to the supervisor that I have at the moment because the supervisor I have at the moment I have for a different reason and and I'm aware that when I need to really significantly up that part of the relationship then that's where I'm going to go I think that's so interesting uh, and the other tip that I have is don't get too much one-to-one support because then you just dilute it and you don't know which bit you're taking to which person and you can get yourself in the right doodah <laughs> so yeah so yeah I think too much reflection is too much reflection so what's enough reflection for you at this stage in your journey in terms of how you do what you do we can get too wrapped up in our own reflection sometimes can't we and not, yeah. not see forward and move forward so I'm really interested, and we've kind of started going into this, which is what have you been told and taken absolutely no notice of? So you're describing things that you were told that you sort of went with and then changed your mind about. But what have you been told that you never took any notice of? I'm really struggling with that question because I'm thinking of, I think, typically my pattern of being to have been told something early on and then gone partly down the road and then taken a u-turn come back again and thinking yeah that's not for me and I, I think I've probably absorbed a lot of stuff that I and maybe I'm more confident now to think oh yeah no that's not for me so to be much more discerning as I see things yeah that looks interesting but it's not for me whereas before I mean I remember joining the chamber of commerce and having this whole kind of sales pitch coming to me about you know why this would be really good before I even knew what I was what I was pitching or what I was turning up at one of these breakfast meetings and just thinking what you know with your three minute pitch I thought I had no idea what I was going to say so I in hindsight I wouldn't have taken any notice of that because I'm coming back to your point Claire and, and um, Mary's is is that is that sense of just needing to know know yourself first before you you know step off it but I can't yeah I can't think that there's nothing nothing comes that that whole thing of just I've just ignored that I imagine we've all been told to join networking breakfasts ah uh and I, I used to do talks at them, which never got me any work, but it did increase my confidence about being able to talk about pretty much anything. But I just before lockdown, the first lockdown, I can remember being in a hotel and there was a networking meeting going on in the other side of the breakfast area. And I was watching them and it was really interesting watching them from a distance when years and years ago I was watching them from being amongst them and I was sitting there thinking I wonder how much work you've got that enables you to come here and 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 it becomes a very an echo chamber I think because you know everybody says the same thing and and basically it's people who are hungry for business and I think I think there are better places to be to get work than in places where people are hungry for business. Because then 
often I think you get work and they don't want to pay you. So there's some kind of exchange which might give you some of those miles that you were talking about, Gail. But equally, my, my issue about all of the business building stuff is that you can get very busy and believe you're doing a great piece of business building work when actually you're not really doing anything. It's like the I must perfect my website and I will spend, you know, 150 hours perfecting my website when actually your LinkedIn profile is good enough because people will people only want to know if you're real <laughs> and want to check you out. They don't you know, you don't need a, a, a big, solid thing, I don't think. One of the things I did the other day just to jump in is I actually and it felt so so liberating I actually closed down my Facebook page because I wow. thought I'm not I'm not using this for my business I felt real pressure to feel like I had to be posting something on it and I just thought it's not it's not serving me that isn't where my where my clients are and LinkedIn I use LinkedIn but I just and it felt such a relief but it felt much more honest to me and where I was coming from yeah but um yeah, really interesting, isn't it? The sort of U-turns we take. But, but U-turns are good. What about you, Mary? I think um, I've been trying to think about what it what it is that, like, I was told that I really should do and I haven't um, followed through. I think there's something about pricing there for me. Like, um, you know, you're really told, like, just think about your pricing think about what value you're offering all that kind of stuff which is great but when you're early doors and you're at that point of I, I want to get my first credential actually there is a point where you think what exchanges am I going to make and what might be beneficial for me and so um, in contrast actually I love having my website I've I've kind of um, I'm I'm thankful that I, I could make my website so uh, I I love learning about anything really so as I said I was talking about earlier um, and I'm a bit techy and I'm a bit geeky so I kind of started building my own website but what that's led to is that I've been able to build my husband's coaching website for him which is miles better than mine um, but like it's been it's been great um, and I suppose yeah that's the thing for me like actually sometimes exchanges are okay like but you really have to think about what the value of them are um, so for me, I got some branding shots done by someone I knew um, who also wanted some coaching in exchange, you know, and, and that worked really well. Um, so, yeah, and some proofreading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what, do you, what do you really need for your business and what would be really helpful for you? And then think about maybe who, who you could approach. But that's maybe the bit I've ignored initially. Um, and now... And I'm wondering now whether that might be a little bit uh, silly, actually, that I should have thought about the pricing element a little bit earlier. Um, but it is something, if I'm really honest, I did ignore. Pricing is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because it depends where you're coming from as mm -hmm. to what you even believe about pricing. Yeah. And there's a whole voice in the marketplace that goes, well, you can charge a fortune. And I personally, I can't do that because I don't think it's ethical. And I notice that we are getting contacted by quite a lot of coaches from around the world who aren't earning anything like 
we would earn here, mm-hmm. even if you're just starting out as a coach. And they're going to coaches who are going, if you want to do my program, I'm going to charge you this many thousand pounds or dollars. And they are sacrificing everything to pay for it. Wow. Now, I think that's not ethical. So my stance is that an hour of my time is worth an hour of your time, pretty much. So if I'm coaching a leader in an organization, I will do a mental maths to say, so what's a fair rate for a leader in this organization when your salary is this much? And then my fees will be this much. But then if I'm working with a mum who's just returning to work, who's not getting any income at all, and who hasn't got a huge resource from maternity leave, then I'll make a different decision on the number. Mm. But I know there's a school of thought that goes, well, you're under, you're under pricing. Mm. Uh, but I think that pricing and ethics for me go very close together. Yeah. And, and I think there's a sense of um, comfort as, as the person who's charging that money um, you know, people, people in the marketing world always talk about, yeah, but you need to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, th- that's maybe one piece of advice. Do you? Do, do you really? Or is it just so that you can eke out another penny? Like, and then talking on your point, Claire, actually, um, I'm in the privileged position that I've got another job. And right now, coaching isn't my primary income. And so I can think about these things and I don't need to like go all out and say, I'm going to charge masses of amounts because I've got to pay my mortgage through this. Mm. Then the ethics become how you treat your clients when you're feeling anxious about money as you go towards this thing. And, and what does that mean for your client relationship and all those kind of things? Like, so yeah, ethics definitely comes into money, but then it also comes into any interaction you might have. Like, how will you treat the person with less money or more money? Yeah. What difference yeah. will that make? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting one. What do you think, Gail? I, I just made me think then, I, because I've been doing all this associate work, I don't have to talk about money and and then recently I've had a few direct clients come through and I remember talking in supervision and one of my peer groups how uncomfortable I found the chemistry meeting and the kind of you know the the kind of contracting and that that kind of initial discussion because I was I was almost fronting this is me rather than me hiding behind another organization and it was a real it was a real challenge for me and I've done a few of those now just the last the last sort of three or four months really that I've had a few of those conversations and I'm from kind of being really uncomfortable with it I'm starting to feel comfortable with it now and I've had some people who have followed through and I'm coaching and I've had some people who have almost like oh Oh, yeah. And they've been like, I don't, the, the price has been the point of, oh, I, I don't want to do it, or, you know, that, 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 it, that it's, they've not come back. And I'm actually, rather than, and I think a few months ago, I would have been in that position of, oh, I charged too much, it was too, or whatever. But I'm much more comfortable now, kind of thinking, yeah, well, that, that's okay. That's their choice. That's my choice because that's how much 
the, the value is of what I'm doing and what I need to earn from that hour, two hours, whatever the, the, the slot is, that actually if I, if I did it, if I went back, oh, will you do it for this or, or whatever? That's just not, that's not my value either. So there's something for me about kind of starting to feel comfortable with my value of what that is. And I love your way, Claire, of, of having that sliding scale. I think that's a really, a really good way of, 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 of looking at it. Um, so, so, yeah, it's been really, it's been a really, it, this is really pertinent to me because it's kind of something that's kind of been live the last couple of months, really, in terms of those kind of, you know, more, more difficult conversations where, because we don't go into coaching, do we, to start to have like business conversations with somebody. And it's, it is, it, it makes it, I found it quite difficult, those, those first sort of chemistry calls because of that. Yeah. And one of the things that I find slightly tricky is that because often I have transformational conversations with people quite quickly, they end up paying me a lot less than they would be paying somebody with whom they weren't having a transformational conversation when they had 10 sessions. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a thing I'm, but then I still have an ethical issue about it. <laughs> so I did a coaching session the other day. He wanted four. I wasn't sure he needed four. And the transformation came in the very first part of session one, and we don't need to ever meet again. I'm sure we will at some point in the future for some other reason, but, but they got the whole thing they needed. And, and I do pay as you go on that basis. And afterwards I was thinking quite a lot about actually, should you have charged him for, you know, should you just say up front, we'll charge you for four sessions and it'll be up to four sessions. Then I thought I cannot with integrity, look somebody in the eye and go, you've had 20 minutes, but you're still going to pay for four hours. (laughs) So I'm never going to drive a Porsche, but that's okay. (laughs) It's really funny because I think on that same pricing thing, um, part of what I've been thinking about is, is there something about group programs or a specific program? Um, So you're actually talking about a, a set of sessions which build on each other. Um, which maybe is different from one-to-one work where the transformation comes in 20 minutes because you're talking about a series of or a body of work. Um, and I think that that then changes. And obviously there's all the work that, and, and I think that's that's an ethical thing for me as well. Like quite often um, I see small business owners, especially quite a few of my friends are, who devalue their work quite significantly um, because they don't take into account any of the prep work that they've done, any of the stuff they've had to think about, any of their training, any of the yeah. reading they're doing around the subject, all of that kind of stuff. And that quite often means that they're actually um, undervaluing themselves uh, and then also on the cusp of becoming resentful for, of their clients because the clients aren't actually paying them what, what they're really putting in. <laughs> Um, and the clients don't understand the value of it either. And full-time coaches can't coach full-time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So for me, I am, I do two days one-to-one a week. But if I did three days one-to-one a week, that would be enough. So that would mean if I was doing one-hour sessions, my maximum number of people per week would be 18, which I've never done because I do a mixture of training because it is a different it's a different energy in the group than it is in the one-to-one so for me that makes a nice balance but 
But you need to be pricing on the fact that your full week is is this many hours, not 40. And I, I think that we undervalue when people are independent coaching practitioners, the fact that if you work in an organization, your prep is part of your salary and your follow-up is part of your salary and your admin is part of your salary. And then suddenly in coaching, we think we just get, you know, that the payment is for the hour, but actually the payment is, as you said, Mayuri, it's for the whole thing around it. So getting that right. And it's not an exact science again, but, but having a bit of a sense of that can be a really useful thing. And I think that's where the, the, the idea of different charging models for different people actually comes in really helpful um comes in really helpfully um yeah because if you can charge more to one client who is willing to accept it then you can afford to not charge as much to the other um yeah and that's go ahead I was going to say, it's a nice way of getting a, a, a really lovely blend of clients as well, isn't it? So you can still be doing some of the, the kind of real frontline stuff with people who probably need coaching as much, if not more so, than your executives and, 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 and other folks. Yeah. Yeah, so we do coaching with young people and that's subsidised by the team coaching that our guys do because they get paid much more for that, which means that we can charge out less for the youth coaching and then the one subsidizes the other mm. which which i like because you know it's the same work yeah it's not that it's work that it's better work if they earn a lot of money and you get paid a lot and it's not such good work when they can't pay it's all the same work thinking about the thing you've taken no notice of oh i can answer that one <laughs> Coach speak doesn't work. Only with coaches. Um, I mean, you learn all these wonderful things and terminology and everything else. And then you get thrown out into the world to find your clients. And you start trying to talk to people about coaching. And they don't have a clue. So you have to reinvent the whole thing. Um, how to market yourself as a professional service provider and how to talk about what you do without speaking coach speak. I think that's a really good reflection. Uh, and I remember in, in my coach training, the, the part where we were told about different flavors of coaching and we had to identify ourselves in those flavors. And I kind of saw myself somewhere in there, but, but I've never, as, as you're saying, uh, Caroline, I've never use that language when talking to a client, you know, being a systemic coach or a gestalt coach or a human-centered coach, it, it, it wouldn't make sense to them. It hardly still makes sense to me. Um, but so I think, I think that's a really good reflection. I mean, nobody cares, do they, Gary? What they want are outcomes and solutions. They don't mm. want processes. We're taught processes and things, and, and that's of no interest to our clients mm. at all. See, the thing that I, that I use all the time with coaches is actually the very first hour of the very first day of my coaching training, which was um, sitting in Henley Business School, looking at whiteboards, looking at the difference between counseling, coaching, mentoring, line management, performance management, uh, consulting, that I find incredibly powerful because that really resonates with the coachee. Uh, but the whiteboard talking about different psychological schools, um, 
I've never used uh, yet. I may I may come back to it. May, maybe I come back to it. I think so it's relevant with other coaches, but not with your general clients. Yeah, there's something about speaking English. And I don't know if you listened to the podcast with Julian Mack the other day, but he was saying that the tricky thing is that we are selling a process, but you can't speak about it like that. But actually, the outcome of the process is entirely dependent on the work that the client or the thinker does. But if we oversell, they might not get that because they might not be willing, able, inclined to do the good work that needs to happen. So it it becomes quite a tricky thing. But I am with you. We have to speak English. Sarah, you look like you're about to say something. Honestly. Go on, Sarah Brooks. Sorry. Um, One of the things that I was just thinking in answer to your question is I've been told to um, offer to help people with my coaching and I'm supposed to tell people what I do and how I do it and you know I can help you and actually I haven't done that because and I'm just listening to the conversation we're having and I'm wondering whether partly the reason I haven't done it is I haven't worked out how to talk about it in a way that makes sense to my client it makes perfect sense to me what I do and how I do it. But I would just wonder if I haven't quite worked out how to how to talk about it. So I am not doing it. I actively avoid it. That's one of the exact things that we're never taught in a coaching qualification, how to actually tell people what we do without telling them we're coaches. And that's that's something I've learned since I did my coaching qualification, that we need to learn how to market the business and market ourselves in a different way. So it, it you need the two side by side or one after the other, because having that coaching qualification does not make a business. You have to build the business and it has to be in a way that people understand. And people all think they know what coaching is about, but they don't have a clue. And audition is better than description, I would say. So saying, why don't we just have a conversation for five minutes and then you'll experience what it's like. And if you can right size the work so it really fits in five minutes and they get a massive shift, then they totally get it. Because I've been coaching for over 30 years. I still find it difficult to describe because it's different for everybody. Sarah Klein, you had something to say there. I was thinking um, what you said, Caroline, in terms of nobody cares. And I was thinking about the other things that coaches do, and certainly I did to start with, which was get very exercised by what's my uh, business um, values, what's my website going to say, and all of that stuff. And I can see you smiling. And it's, I think nobody cares about that. No one really cares what your business name is or how your website looks or what your brand colors are. But that's something that I spend quite a lot of time thinking about to start with and actually avoiding some of the things we've been talking about, which is how about you tell people how you can help them with a a particular problem? What's the issues that you're trying to help them solve? Um, I distracted myself by thinking about brand colours for a long time. It's easy to keep busy, isn't it, doing those business things and not actually going out there and getting clients um, and helping people and finding that niche, the, pe- the people you actually want to work with and talking directly to them 
about your ideal client, um, if you can actually describe your ideal client and your messaging and how you talk is directed at them and their specific problems, it makes marketing and finding clients so much easier. Very eye-opening moment for me was when I looked at my web stats to see how many visitors a week were coming to my website. And it was something like one or possibly two or three in an amazing week. And of course, mostly they're unlikely to even be human. So they're just hits on the website. So I, I, I like you, Sarah, let go of the idea of brand colors being my dominant business growth driver. Um, so what I started to think about my website doing was providing something that helped accelerate the conversation with the client. So I created a, a, a page where I just wrote some text about what coaching is. Uh, and I put up one of the ICF videos. Um, and actually, and in doing that, I, I, I realized that I didn't need to say why I was going to be an amazing coach or what coaching was going to give them. It was more describing the distinction between coaching and other types of conversations. So, you know, what you might notice me do is this kind of thing, as opposed to, you know, this is going to change your life and, you know, you've got the accountability, so on. So um, I, I now, if I send an email to a, a client and say, you know, let's have a conversation about coaching, but go and have a look at this page beforehand, just to understand a bit more about what in principle coaching is. So there's no surprises when you come to the conversation. And then as Claire, as you say, you know, a little five minutes experience of what does it feel like when I just don't say anything in response to the thing you said, and you feel, oh, crikey, I've got to do some more thinking here. If you hate that experience, then coaching is not for you. And if you found it really interesting, then coaching could be for you. And it's interesting to, to get away from that idea of trying to push coaching and sell coaching to more evoking people's awareness of even what, what coaching's process is. So really interesting. Yeah, because if we're facilitating somebody's thinking, they've got to want to think. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have a coaching client at the moment who um, is in my former line of work and far more senior than I ever got to in that space. So I found it quite a daunting idea that we could be in the sort of dance of coaching where um, I, I feel like a lot of the way I think he's probably also going to think that way because of, of some of elements of our shared background. And then he said to me quite recently, how difficult, how challenging he finds the coaching experience. Cause he said, I've done this to my clients, to my, to companies I've worked with over many, many years. I've never asked myself these questions. And he said, I find it really hard. And actually that, that was fascinating to see that somebody where, you know, it, it, it almost to me felt, I wasn't sure that I was going to add value to him. Um, and actually the coaching process added value to him because it created a space for him to, to think. It's exactly that thing. So We don't add any value. No, no. It's the process that adds all the value. And it's that space that happens between us. And I think when we add, try and add too much value, mm. then we fall over because then actually we're not coaching because we're, we're too busy adding value. <laughs> There's a quote in John Whittington's um, systemic coaching book um, by Bert Hellinger, which haunts me every day when I think about coaching. And the quote is, have no intention, especially to help. Yes. Um, and every time I'm in a coaching session, I need to reflect even more, even more, even more on that quote. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important, isn't it? That's one of my mantras. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's uh, extraordinary. 
And it's the difference, isn't it, between being helpful, which is about my need to be helpful and being useful, which is about what actually do we need to do so that it serves you well in order for you to grow and develop and to move to move on. It's also so, interesting. Sorry, Gary, you said something there about um, he he used to do it to, uh, with others, but had never thought of asking those questions himself. I mean, that's the whole point of coaching, isn't it? We can't coach ourselves. No, no. We can't see what we can't see. So it's so important that even as coaches, we we have a coach because we just don't see what we don't see. Hmm. I think that's really that's really true, uh, and I think that because I, I do quite a lot of work in the US as well as in the UK. And I think I notice on, on, on small numbers, but I think it is quite consistent that in the UK, I still find a lot of clients are not, they're, they're coming for the first time to think about developing themselves, where in the US, because it's so much more in the culture that people invest and spend money on themselves in various different ways. Um, it's an easier conversation because they're already kind of there in going, I want to develop and I know that I need people around me to support me in that journey. And could you help me in the UK? You're still having conversation of, is that even an interesting thing to do before you get to, is it you and is it now? And all those kinds of the questions. So I mean, mm. that's, that's only my own personal reflection from client conversations. But, uh. Uh, that's yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that's really interesting. Um, and that means that the conversation we need to have needs to be different and we need to think about that in advance. So how do you choose your CPD? How do you decide which book to read or which course to go on or indeed which course not to go on and which book not to read? Sarah Klein. It's a really interesting question. I think in the last year I've chosen things that I have been interested in um, and I've Either I've either been interested in them for a business reason. So I did EQI because I had DISC already. I wanted another tool. I'm particularly interested in emotional intelligence. There was a very clear business reason as to why I chose that um, because I think it will be useful uh, going forward. I've done other things because I just fancied the sound of them. Um, <laughs> I Like I did um, the Artist Way course earlier this year. Um, and from a business point of view, um, I probably didn't see a direct correlation, but I, I knew that I, I am very creative and I sort of lost that side of me. Um, and I saw it as a bit of a hobby. But once I did it, I realized actually it's fundamental to my business. Uh, and, and in terms of being in flow, that I have some time being creative. Um, so I either do it because it's a clear business reason or I do it because I just fancy it. I think going forward, as in for this year coming up, I, my word of the year is intentional and I'm going to be much more intentional about if I choose to do CPD, what time am I going to spend afterwards implementing it, consolidating it? Because I have a dreadful habit of wandering from one thing to the other because it sounds lovely um, without spending the time doing the consolidation. So that's my challenge to myself next year. Be intentional and spend time consolidating. Fantastic. I heard somebody say once, which I loved, why do you want to read that book? What have you done with the books, with the learning that you've already had? Or what have you done with the learning you've already had from a course? Because there's something, isn't there, about using it well? Sorry, I was just picking up on a point there, intentional, because I've read so many books and I look at them on the bookshelf and actually haven't put any of it into <laughs> practice. It's been seriously interesting, 
but it sits on the bookshelf and it's not really helping me move forward. Um, so this next year definitely has to be a lot more intentional and have a purpose. Mm. But I think lockdown and the last two years have given us time to sit back a little bit and do some of those things that we've never we've not had time for in the past or would have been seen as a luxury. Um, but yeah, moving forward, hopefully we're busier outside um, and um, it has to be more intentional. Mm. My learning journey started about seven years ago, the current one, where I started thinking about presence. And then I was learning more about presence. I was choosing things to go to where I knew that I would experience learning about presence. And then that led into learning about power. And that's led to where I am now, which is learning about privilege, which is also about power. And it's also about presence. So sometimes it's a thing, I think. And sometimes it's a theme. So, that, yeah, that's interesting. Sarah Brooks, how do you choose yours? Um, well, OK, so rather eclectic methods, I think, then. So if it's an audio book, because I've got an Audible subscription and it throws suggestions up for me, so quite a few of them have come from that. They're not all good, of course, but some of them are really brilliant. And that is how I discovered Brené Brown. Um, so, yeah, audio book. Um, Conversations and relationships, I suppose. So people might tell me about a good book or a good course they've been on. But I have got very canny. And I think I, I, this thing is in my mind all the time, consume or create. And when I first started, I was like, oh, yeah, right. OK, I'll do that. I'll do that. I was signing up for all these things and going to webinars and downloading a book. And then I'm like, I don't like it. I don't know why. I don't know why that person thought it would be good because it didn't resonate with me at all. And so I've started to understand now what I'm looking for and how I can decide whether that is likely to be of use to me or not. But I thought what Caroline said was really interesting, actually, because I would argue that even if you think something isn't useful, it is because it goes in. And once you've read it or you've heard it, you can't unread it or unhear it. And it is in there. So I don't, I kind of look back and I think, well, I've done what I've done and it all went in, whether I'm aware of it or not. And it will all pop out in some way, whether I'm aware of it or not. Um, accreditation. So another way, yeah. So will it give me CCEUs, my PCC, uh, ICF accreditation? So I got my ACC this year, you know, which was amazing hard work but amazing and I'm so chuffed to bits I've got it but now I'm also thinking about the next stage and so part of it is is that a good return on investment so what is it going to give me is it going to give me something and it doesn't have to be financial return but it has to be something that allows me to say it was definitely worth the cost yeah, and I think if you're going from ACC to PCC, if the International Coaching Federation is your tribe, then there's something about if you need those extra 65 hours, what substantive piece of training can you get that will actually progress you from where you are and enable you to go deeper and deeper over time, which is one option, or, or another bucket? is another option. Now, the ICF are now saying they want it to, to deepen. 
Um, and there's value in buckets, but the question is, what's the right thing for you in this season? Uh, yeah, is it is it deeper or wider? Yeah, and, and also seeing through, you know, we talked about coach speak at the beginning, didn't we? You've got to really be able to see through what they talk about and what they promise yeah. and decide, actually, is it something I don't already know? Because I think we all recognize, don't we? And Gary mentioned it right at the beginning, was that you know these things. So you don't call them gestalt or system. You know them. We live on the earth. We know what they are, but we don't necessarily know the name. And so you sign up for a course and it says, I'm going to teach you how to do this and this. And you think it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know about that. And then you do it and you realize, well, I knew all that. I just didn't call it that. So there is something, isn't there, about being able to see beneath the lid and work out, actually, am I going to learn something new or not? Yeah. And talk to people who've done it. Yeah. Because that gives you really good insight. I just had an email this week from somebody who said, I'm thinking of training as a coach supervisor. And I'm asking lots of people, what was your experience? And I think that's a great question because she's going to have some really good data and then she'll know the right questions to ask. I think the point about depth, not breadth is a, is a really interesting one. For, for me, like what I was saying earlier, that um, focus and clarity for my client base is important. Um, and so I've intentionally chosen to only train in one sort of psychometric model, which for me is Clifton Strengths, because partly because it's the one I believe in more than the others, but also because I I want to be an expert in it. I want to be one of the best people you could work with if you want to understand your strengths. I did my own strengths assessment, and that was interesting because for me, my number one strength is something called Maximizer, which is about I'm interested only if it's already good and it can become world class, um, and I'm not very interested or engaged when it's broken and it needs fixing or it's okay and I can gradually improve it over time it's about making it world class so when I'm thinking about my future development I'm I'm thinking for me about depth not breadth um, and from a commercial perspective absolutely thinking about the kinds of clients I'd like to be working with over the next one two three years and the kinds of things that might be interesting to bring into the conversation so for me actually the systemic coaching work is an area I'm really interested in because I, I don't want to do a particularly sort of executive team coaching, but I, for, for some weird and wonderful reasons, I've got into the space of, of coaching within um, ultra high net worth families, which is a little bit like the dynamics of executive teams. Um, and as Sarah was saying, it's not that you don't know the principles of how that works, but having some simple and clear tools or exercises or frameworks that you can work through with people. And I've done a little bit of it in, in individual coaching sessions. Um, it's, it's seeing how very quickly something can, can sort of uh, sync with your way of thinking, your way of coaching. And I've, I found that has been a natural fit for me. So something a little bit about going with your gut, with what works, with what you're already doing and what extends you and deepens what, what you're doing, which I like. Mm, thank you. Caroline. Um, my CPD, I'm well into this um, NLP for coaching, which will last another or at least another 12 weeks. So I'm focused on that and more from a, a personal development perspective than to be using it with clients, because it 
I'm still learning so much about myself through this coaching journey. So I'm just enjoying that. Um, and I'm going to wait until that is coming to an end before I even look at anything else. It's easy to get distracted. Um, so I'm determined this year to, to focus because I have been doing lots of different things over the last 12 months. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's um, the books I read. And I agree with you, Sarah, that you learn something from all of them. I mean, things like the, the 12 week year, and I always want to implement these things, but never quite get around to it because it, it, yes, it sounds fascinating and, and useful and everything else, but it's not really me. So I think I'm going to be kind to myself for the next six months, at least, certainly during the dark winter days here um, and just do what I enjoy and just keep learning as much as I can. Thank you. Thank you. So my final question is, if you could say one thing to a coach who was just starting out, what would it be? So just a short one thing that you'd say to somebody who's starting out. Gary, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think for me, um, it's don't worry too much about whether or not you're a perfect coach because none of us are perfect coaches and particularly when, when, when we're starting out. And to become a better coach, you need just experience and volume of time in coaching conversations. So I think if you can let go of the, of the worry about whether or not you're perfect it will get you into more conversations get you more experience and that's how you develop your mm. skills and I and I talk a lot to um coaches starting out where that's the thing that more than anything else they're hung up on um and once you let go of that and go I know I'm not perfect and that's okay I'm still allowed to go and have coaching conversations that's the, for me that's the way to go totally thank you Sarah Klein um I think for me, um, I think it's similar to Gary, really. Um, get on with it. Don't think that, oh, I need to have this or I need to have that or that shiny thing. Just get on with it. Yes, you will be a different coach in six months, 12 months, 18 months, but now is the time and you are enough and you know enough. Thank you. I need trying to sing a song now. Enough is enough, but I won't. Sarah Brooks. So I talk a lot about treasure maps when I do coaching and about working out what the treasure map is in our head and what are the boundaries of what we know. And so I would say to new coaches that this is a journey that will take you to the furthest edges of your mind if you want it to. It will enrich your lives in ways that are far greater than financial value and that you will have so much energy and passion for life that it is just so worth it even in the down days just so worth it because it pays so much in rewards thank you caroline i'm going to be terribly practical and business-like here and say get yourself a business how to set up a coaching business mentor because coaching is wonderful and and we're in it because we love it and and we believe in it but convincing everybody out there that they will benefit from it is one of the greatest challenges a new coach has. So get yourself a business mentor. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, because becoming a successful coach is about what you do in the room and about the bit, the bit you do in the back office as much it's, as It's a balance. Other. It's the scales. You've got yeah. your coaching qualification and you've got to have that business qualification yeah. 
or mindset as well. Standing where you are now, a bit further down the journey, what would you say to them? But for me, it would just be around finding your own path and just spend some time really finding and exploring what that path is, letting the path emerge, all all of that sort of stuff. Uh, And it it would be about just watch out for the kind of false. I I suppose you you need to go down a few false false paths, don't you, as well, and do U-turns to find your own path. But there's there's something around, I, I think, about enjoy the journey, I suppose. There's something around that because I've had such pleasure in in the, the the learning from this none of it feels like it's been uh you know a way, even even things that I've done and 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 been on that I sort of think oh it was interesting I didn't get a, an awful lot out of it but there's there's something and um so yeah I suppose it's follow your own path and enjoy enjoy the journey in finding it kind of emerging it I suppose and the bit that you didn't say there that I heard you say before was find your tribe Yes, yes. Because that gives you strength for the journey. Definitely. definitely. Otherwise, if you expand the metaphor, I've got this image now from what you just said, of you're walking down a road and you're on your own and you've got all these shiny shops and people standing on the shop doorstep going, you must have this and you must have this and you must have this and you must have this. And it feels like when you've got your tribe around you, you can be a bit lighter about the demands that are coming in. Yeah, that's a lovely word as well, Claire, the, the, the lightness. There's something about a lightness to it as well and to to um, to carry it lightly and, mm. and forget the shoulds and, you know, musts and <laughs> all of those things yeah. as well, I think. And that's why I think it's important not to burn your bridges until your until the coaching side of your business is sustainable because it's not light if you've got a mortgage to pay and you've got to get this many clients in this month in order to pay the mortgage mm, i agree and certainly talking about um your point claire about blending the coaching with other things so also i do sort of training and consultancy stuff as well and it all works really well but i've really been conscious of trying to sort of get the income streams from different places to, to try and you know, keep that more sustainable. Yeah. I sold books to start with. Children's books. Oh, that's cool. because, because it was a very low stress way of, of just getting some money in to take the pressure off and I think the other thing is don't borrow money to invest in any kind of training or development because if you do that you're just going to be you're just going to be robbing this to pay for something else so if you're at all able to pay up front or pay in installments or pay for something so that you so that it's it's coming out of current income rather than the income that you're getting from coaching need to pay back into the past because that makes a real tricky thing I think mm-hmm. yeah I've just got one more that while well, I'm just on a roll sorry and then I'll shut up go for it there was one for me around the the, the absolute value of accreditation 
and you know like professional accreditation and some sort of qualification to legitimize you and and give you credibility compared to because it's such a a, a sort of sharp pull out there isn't there that it, and it's something that actually then gives you gives you proper professional professional identity I think is is the other thing that and that for me has opened the pathway for associate work and and that sort of stuff which has helped to build up I wouldn't have been able to do that without that accreditation and that's about credibility and it's also about accountability isn't it because with accreditation comes a connection with a professional body then you are held to account around your professional ethics that makes it safer for your clients to know that there's a complaints procedure that they can use if they need to otherwise I think maybe customers don't recognize the risk that they take in going with someone who's not accredited, which is not just about the quality of the conversation, because there are accredited, there are non-accredited coaches who coach brilliantly, but it's about the safety of all those other things. I was, I went for my flu jab the other day and, um, she was very nice and clearly she hadn't been doing vaccinations for very long, the pharmacist. So she, she explained it all to me in huge detail. And then, and then she said, are you ready for me to inject? By which time, of course, I'm really, ah, tense. You know, if they're experienced, they just jab you, don't they? <laughs> when yeah. you're not looking. Anyway, she then said, um, I, here is a copy of our complaints procedure and she circled the address and the phone number and she said this is the number you need to ring and this is the the address that you need to write to if you've got a complaint against me and I, and I said unless you're going to do something really weird in the next minute I won't be taking this leaflet away with me but I did feel reassured that she mm. was explaining to me where I could go if I wasn't happy I think she kind of over explained but actually, that gives you a huge sense of relief, doesn't it? That, you know, if something goes wrong here, I know what I'm going to do. Mm. Rather than if something goes wrong here, I've no idea what to do. And I've also no idea if it's gone wrong or not. Mm. So, yeah. So uh, even when you get the entry level accreditation, I think that that says I am serious about this journey. Mm. And, and I think that that acts as a rubber stamp as you're getting your hours and getting your qualifications or whatever to go for the other levels of accreditation. I just think it says, I'm nailing my colors to the mast here. And I'm saying that I am serious about my development and accountability. Yeah. I don't think I've ever thought of it like that. I think I've always thought about it from the point of view of, um, it means the quality of the conversation is at a certain standard. Um, but I never really thought of it from from the point of view of the client. Actually, I've got somewhere to go. Um, there is an ethics code behind all of this, right? So, yeah, that's really helpful. And actually, because coaching is co-created, sometimes it won't be at that standard mm. because yeah. we're just not able to get the partnership working for them to do this good work. And maybe they don't want to do this good work. And if they don't want to do the work, the conversation will probably not be at that standard, but it still says these are the standards that I work towards. But I guess the pharmacist probably has bad days too. <laughs> or, or, or people who come for the injection who resist so much that then that becomes an unpleasant experience between the two of them. Mm. Not that I'm comparing coaching to vaccination, just so we all are clear on that one. <laughs> so... 
Mayuri, what would you say to a coach who is just starting out? Um, as you initially asked that question, the first thing that came to mind is be kind to yourself. Like really at the heart of this whole thing, you can go into it all guns blazing, thinking like I did actually holding my hands up here. I need to have perfect conversations all the time. I cannot make mistakes. Um, you know, I must perform to this exacting standard all the time. And actually, in the end, it affects your conversation with this human who is in front of you because they're not a robot and nor are you. Like you, you can't, you can't be so harsh to yourself. I'm going, I'm like fisting, um, bumping fists at the moment just to say like, it just causes a clash. It's an internal clash which will come out in the conversation which will affect the relationship you're trying to build. And then in turn, actually knock your confidence even more. So I would just say, go at your own pace stop the comparison between all the people who are around you and that's for me part of being kind like you know yeah. most of the time when you train you go through a cohort you're all doing this stuff together you're like doing the exercises and the tools and all of that stuff together and then you arrive in this big white world and you forget that everyone has their own lives everyone has their own pace of life everyone has their own life circumstances happening you know, like I would never have said, you know, three, four months after I finished my course that I'd have, I've had a, I would have had a flood to our house, um, moved out, found out I was pregnant um, and then a pandemic hit. Like never, you know, someone had asked me when that course finished, what was, what was coaching going to look like for me? That is not part of my story, yeah. but it's there it's true it actually makes me a better coach now but I can only say that by looking back with kindness and looking looking at my life with kindness and I had to come to that because I was seeing colleagues of mine who were getting their first level of um credentialing like within a few months of finishing the course and I was going oh I'm nowhere near that um and I was you know talking to people and they were saying yeah we're charging this much an hour not thinking about the type of clients they're going for the type of work they're doing um the fact that these were their full-time businesses and I was doing this alongside my day job and I think that's the other thing like think of your own circumstances and this is probably why I would this is what we advocate for coaching isn't it that you, you think about the person in front of you so think about yourself as one of your clients mm. how kind would you be to them when they were talking to you about setting up this business and how these things are all going wrong and everyone around them is doing x y and z like yeah be kind yeah because you're a unique human I think that perfect thing drives me absolutely bonkers so I was listening the other day to a, a recording of somebody who really needed to strip out their coaching and simplify. And yeah. the first recording that I heard them do, they worked so very hard and the thinker didn't do any work at all much. So we were listening last week to another recording and everything had changed. It was co-created. It was absolutely beautiful. And the coach asked them a question which was not grammatical. And when I'm listening to recordings with people, I, I notice what I notice in the chat so that we can do it live as we're watching the thing going on. 
and and I wrote listen to what she just said the insight I've just had has changed my life and the coach wrote I should have said this and not that (laughs) and I went I don't care what you said because she doesn't remember what you said and of course it wasn't grammatical it doesn't matter because you just needed to do the thing that led her into the insight she won't she will only remember the insight yeah like I think guess I always think about it in the sense of you need to be visible enough that you support your client to move on but you need to be invisible enough that um they don't remember you at the end absolutely I like that I like that as well that's great yeah yeah the one I'm just that sense of yeah. yeah, I'm sitting at the moment with we need to be to be not in control mm. and we need to be not out of control, which is the same kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's a uh, that's a that's a tension. I, I it's interesting because I think that you come out of your coach training. Having struggled at the beginning to understand what coaching was and to move from trying to ask questions that fix to actually recognizing you're facilitating the thinking of someone else. And then all the people you're practicing on also know that. So they then become really easy to coach, apart from the ones who don't want to bring that many things to fulfill the requirements of how many coaching sessions you do. And they run out of things to think about and wish they weren't on the course at all. And they're probably brilliant coaches. But 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 the tricky thing is that coaching a coach isn't real because they know how to play. And that makes it easier and different for you. And when you're coaching somebody who's not a coach, they don't know how to play. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it feels very different and it's experienced as being very different. And people go, what do you mean by that strange question? (laughs) yeah 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 definitely it's that um I think once I used the question something like um how does that serve you and you know you use that in a coaching context and most people understand what do you mean like how does it serve you oh is it helpful or is it not but you'd never think the service was almost like a jargon word in Mm. coaching Mm. but it is yeah Yes. So I think my top tip would be speak English or whatever is your the language in which you're coaching. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really lovely as well of when you feel you're confident enough in a coaching session to say, oh, sorry, that didn't make any sense at all, did it? Or, you know, when you actually say, I've just completely lost my train of thought now or whatever it is, you know, that when you can actually say that without carrying the kind of oh, or the internal yeah. kind of fright about what you're going to say next or whatever and and mm-hmm. uh, and that's a lovely a lovely thing isn't it to to again it's that lightness isn't it to be able to to carry it lightly and not feel that you have to be perfect in that, in that yeah. discussion so, you know that takes yeah, time something, sorry something that's just popped into my head um was about the reflective practice journal you know like most courses you kind of do this reflective practice journal and there's a temptation that when you're free as such like you don't need to do that anymore um but actually I found that it's one of the most valuable tools 
particularly in those early days when you are kind of suddenly not in the confines of someone's observing you and all that kind of stuff um but uh being kind to yourself in that moment as well so like write your reflection as you do it however you do it at the time then wait for some feedback from your client and then try and do the reflection again and I've found like when I try and do the two-step reflection just rather than the one step I'm much uh, much more rounded in my reflection um and it's far more beneficial than here's all the stuff I did wrong which is what I tend to write down first <laughs> I love the idea of feedback that says one thing I did well and even better next time would look like this because I think <laughs> there's no point in going into all of the the detail of it again yeah. I want to pick up on what you said about about making mistakes so I would say probably in every coaching session I do, somebody will say to me, what was that question you just asked? And I'll go, I've no, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> because it came from what I heard, saw or heard or sensed. It was absolutely in the moment. And I'm so not attached to it. I'm not bothering to remember it. Because if I bother to remember it, then I'm going to make them follow my hunch. Mm. So I'll ask it and drop it. And they're like, oh, that was a really good question. What did you say? I don't know. <laughs> Jung says, learn your theories as well as you can and put them aside when you touch the miracle of the living soul. Lovely. And maybe it should be learn your theories as well as you can, hold them lightly mm. and put them aside when you touch the miracle of the living soul. Because that's all we're doing, human to human. What a journey we've been on thinking about what we're learning from the first year or two of coaching. Huge thank you to Mayuri Hargest, Gail Hudson, Caroline Tapkin, Gary Crotaz, Sarah Brooks and Sarah Klein. And their contact details will be in the show notes. Do use what they've been sharing with you well and make it your own. If you want to dig deeper into setting up a coaching business, we have a module in the 3D shop called The Business of Coaching, uh, where we're going to pop this as a free extra. But there's also um, some, some things to think about as you're setting up a coaching business, if that would be useful to you. So I'm Claire Pedrick, and you've been listening to The Coaching In. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.